Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Spring Fair 2022, the UK's most diverse, relevant, and exciting buying destination for wholesale home, gift, and fashion. Spring Fair 2022, refueling retail. Hello, and welcome to the latest in our series of episodes from Spring Fair 2022. I'm Carl McKeever. In this episode, we talk sustainability in a special episode to celebrate the launch of Spring Fair's The Power of One campaign. This aims to influence to effect change in the industry, energizing retailers and consumers to take small steps to change the world. It may now be standard to refuse a plastic bag at the supermarket, but that's only the tip of the iceberg. While governments prevaricate over ethical issues, demand for environmentally and socially conscious products are all the rage. With consumers demanding to know how and where the products came from and the legacy they leave. What exactly does ethical consumerism really mean? And what are the challenges of building your business on the foundation of sustainability and doing business in a way that does good? In this episode, we profile three entrepreneurial businesses whose philosophy is making sustainability and balancing profit with purpose a priority. I'm joined by Demi Pandakis, founder of FYG, a home fragrance brand whose products are 100% natural and recycled. Austin King, sales manager of EcoChic that provides itself on creating recycled, reusable and sustainable products. And Kerry Ann Schachter, CEO and founder of jewellery brand Annie Oak, who has built her business on putting ethics and the environment at the forefront of every decision, as well as every product it makes. We hope you enjoy the episode as they share their stories and discuss why the time has come to become a whole lot more transparent. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. So what I'd like to do with each of you is to have a discussion about your brand's individual stories um, and find out some of the things which makes you different, some of the things that makes you work together in similar ways, albeit in different sectors. Kerry, kick us off. My brand is affordable luxury jewellery, um, eco-friendly lifestyle brand. Our jewellery is all made from recycled silver with an aim to make a difference. Austin, I think you have a very different kind of business. What do you do? I run a company called EcoChic. Basically two different lines of products, one made out of surgical grade stainless steel, uh, encouraging people to use the outdoors, hopefully. And the rest of the range is made out of recycled plastic bottles, uh, covering everything from a little fold-away shopping bag to fold-away backpacks, picnic rugs, etc., etc. We formed the company in 2015, and apart from the pandemic, we went from strength to strength. And finally, Demi, what are you and your brand about? So I uh, own and run Find Your Glow. It's an affordable, luxury uh, home fragrance brand. Um, everything's hand-poured, sustainable waxes, sustainable packaging. And for every candle we sell, we plant a tree in Nicaragua. And we're currently over 3,500 trees planted. And at the same time, likewise, we also give to charity. Terrific. So you guys are all selling things which are quite different, but all coming from a similar place in that you're with the zeitgeist at the moment, which is all about sustainability and looking at how products can be made from recycled materials, uh, circular economy, 
those kind of things. What I'd like to do is really talk about your personal stories, your individual stories, really, that brought you to what you do now. Find out what was your inspiration. Uh, was there a particular thing that you know got you thinking, and 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 was the spark? So, Demi, as you went last, let's kick off with you this time. Uh, tell us your story. Working 20 years in a fashion industry, getting disillusioned with where that was going. Then came COVID, and I do feel that what COVID did was it brought what would have happened five, ten years down the line to today, really brought a lot of things to the fore. But I caught COVID really early, January, February 2020, when nobody really knew what the symptoms were, etc. But I went into hospital, I was in a bad way, to the point where I was telling the wife where the insurance stocks were, um, came out, and once I finally regained all my senses, my wife brought me a bowl of figs, simple bowl of figs. And I took one smell of them and just the nostalgia just transported me to my grandma's garden in Greece. Wow. And it really just reminded me of playful times as a kid. And I just thought, wow, if that's elevated me through this period of, of a really, really uncertain time that we were going through, how can I recreate that for sure. other people? And so I've come from a fashion industry that, that, that tries to do everything they can. But I thought, I'm on my own. You can start, you can put everything from the fabric of your business right at the beginning. And I created a home fragrance brand, which takes you down memory lane, you know, really, really picks up the nostalgia. Um, it's very evocative, romantic. But yeah, and that's, that's really been the birth of it. So, Has your experience of the pandemic at a very personal level, you know, catching COVID and having a terrific recovery, how has that, if it has, informed or shaped the, the thinking behind the, the business that you run now? I'm a father of three children. You know, so going into something that's very uncertain, I, I just wanted to make sure that, I, that literally you grab it with both hands and you just go with it. And I do feel that we're in an industry where there have been so many large chains. You know, in all fairness, you go to most of the high streets, they all look the same. And I use that as my opportunity. It's like, you know, you're a little indie brand. How can you get in there and make a difference? And what, what I find amazing about this show that, that we're in at the Spring Fair is there are so many different candle brands, but everyone offers something different. There's a place for everybody. And this is what I feel is really, really exciting um, in the industry. And I just use that to say, come on, you can do this. Establish your niche and get out there and do it. And I, for me, you cannot do anything now, and really you shouldn't have, but you cannot do anything now without sustainability in mind. It has to be at the fabric because otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. And your particular line of products, are they inspired by any particular kind of background? Is there a kind of anything, any cultural references or anything that goes into the product? Well, there is Grandma's Garden in my fragrance. Okay, so, sure. so, I, so I do have that. Um, but also from my side, we, we've used sustainable waxes and it's just it's taken down memory lane of places that really picked me up. And as a result, you know, we've, we've tied up with some fantastic brands in the UK, retailers and online, and they, they've, they've bought into the journey. So for you, a, a very real sense of nostalgia almost yeah, was part, really part of what's in the DNA. Definitely. The beautiful thing about fragrance, fragrance and music, they always put you in a place and time. You will smell something and you'll remember where you were maybe when you smelt it or evoke a memory. And that's what we've tried to do with our fragrance. Mm. Very evocative, isn't it? Very evocative. Yeah. Oh, Austin, um, yeah. your, your business, in any shape or form, what's been in the inspiration behind your drive to put sustainable products onto the market? The first time I thought about it, I was basically walking along a, a beach in the west of Scotland and there was uh, quite a lot of plastic and rubbish getting swept up onto the beach with the, with the, wage, with the waves. That really put the idea into my head to start with, that we, at the time, we were a handbag company. The thing that sort of uh, tunnelled my view on it was that the, the carrier bag tax was coming in in Scotland first and then in England. And we then started looking at how we could try and tie our product 
with what already had in my mind. We then came up with originally the shopping bag and then moved into other products from, from that. So that experience of walking down the beach and experiencing yeah. all that plastic debris and the waste, it sounds as if it was quite powerful on you. Yeah, yeah, very, uh, I, I found it quite sort of provocative because it was a beach I used to go to as a little boy. It was always very clean, your water was clear, da-da-da-da. Uh, and this particular day, it had been a bit of a storm, so there was quite a lot of rubbish on the beach. So right. it, it really hit it home to me, the, the effect that this was having So for on you, the an, an idyllic place was being spoilt by man's impact on the environment? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Kerry, what about for you? Has has any of that kind of, you know, deep, almost, you know, quite personal thinking fed into the way that you developed your brand? Definitely. And similar to um, Austin, isn't it? That the, um, we were traveling around on our honeymoon in Japan and um, it wasn't until we sort of realized from previously we'd been traveling and to then it was a couple of years and the amount of plastic that was sort of in the ocean that it was then that we decided that we wanted to make a brand that would create a difference going forward and that's when um, Annie Oak was sort of di discovered really and that's when we created it. It was all of our inspiration from our travels in Japan that set us up for our first collection Dynami with the geometric shapes um, and it was then that we continued. And, and have you gone on to almost actively kind of uh, lock those thoughts and those experiences into the DNA and the brand as you've developed? Definitely. We, we would say that we're an eco-conscious brand and that every um, decision that we make within the company has the environment at the forefront of our decisions and our designs. And how do you engage people that work for you or with you in those same kind of uh, important um, values? Uh, because, you know, for you, it was something which on your honeymoon, you know, you were in a special place, you were with somebody you loved, and all of this was very real. But for somebody who maybe is just, you know, doing a shift, working alongside, how do you, you know, in, embody that same sense of care and passion in, in teammates too? I think by explaining how it impacts everybody individually and globally and the and what you can do personally in your life to make them small changes will create a difference overall that's what i thought was that's why my logo is the butterfly because with the butterfly effect every small change can make something larger and a larger impact down the line right and so it's kind of making it real and helping people to understand that it's the small steps that we can all take that actually can make the bigger difference definitely Demi, uh, for you, when you think about your business and, and what mark you're trying to leave um, on the world, what does it mean to you to be an ethical, entrepreneurial brand? That, that's critical. Um, there, for, for me, you need to source from the right places. You need to make sure that ultimately your, your product, in my opinion, in my, in my experience with my brand, is reusable. So, as an example, all our containers are reusable. We've just launched um, something totally new to the market, uh, a candle that's like vegetable waxes, pure essential oils, in a lovely metal pot. But once you finish burning it, it comes with a seeded dust card. You can plant your meadow flowers in there, um, and then it becomes a reusable pot. It, for, for me, it's 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 the whole it's the whole circle. You know, a product shouldn't just be finished just because that's it. You know, you've burnt your candle. What are you going to do next? Whether you use it as a I don't know, as a, a pen holder, cotton buds, makeup stand. You know, there there are loads of things that you can reuse. Right. So you're you're actively thinking on behalf of the consumer. Always. Almost, I'm, I'm always thinking, what can you do with my container next? Right. So and so the added value is almost that it doesn't go in the bin when it's done. That's right. Is that it actually can be used for other things? Yes. 
Fantastic. That, that for me is critical. And, and, and Austin, when yeah. you think about the same question, as, a, as an entrepreneur in the sustainability field, what matters? What's important? Our strapline is designed for you and the planet. So we design the products ourselves. We want people to, to use the product. They're very strong. Our, without getting into too many specifics, our shoppers tested to 20 kilogram. So they, they last for ages. They last, last for a long time. So we just want to people to think about what they're doing. You know, why pick up a shopper or whatever at a supermarket? Use a product like ours and you're doing your little bit to help the planet and help your children or grandchildren in my case. For the last couple of years, all of our uh, conversations in our whole world has been orientated around the pandemic. But before that, uh, certainly in the UK, we were consumed by all matters Brexit. How has Brexit, if it has, started to affect your own thinking for how you develop your businesses? Logistically, we have to look for a lot closer to home. Um, the, the, the prices, freight, etc., have have really, really affected everything. Not, not, just, not just from ourselves, but even suppliers that we're buying, even from the UK, you can just see that impact happening. So you've got to be smart about how and what you buy. Um, the way I look at any sort of business is it's a partnership. You're a partnership with your suppliers, you're a partnership with your retailers. And if you're a partnership with your suppliers, there are certain levels of economy of scale that you can kind of like ask for and work with. If, you know, the, the discounts, et cetera, that will help your brand. I think that's critical. You, you, all, all of a sudden, the UK has become one community. And, and I think that's really, really that, for me, that's really helped my brand. And presumably, not necessarily sourcing so much from overseas or, you know, manufacturing close to home is also part of that positive sustainability message as well. Low carbon footprints, as, as, as low as you possibly can. And, and, and every business now wants to and needs to do it. And I, th and, I, and I do feel that what, what's happened is, rightly or wrongly, you know, obviously we, we've hit Brexit, but it's had an impact on everyone's supply chain. The only way to work around it is to partner up with whoever you need to partner up from a supply side, et cetera, in my honest opinion, and look at it economically. And that, that then doesn't help, that doesn't astronomically increase all your prices, you become at least at a manageable level. And, and Kerry, has Brexit at all impacted on your thinking? Definitely in the same way as Demi, really, with the fact of freight and the different suppliers and trying to source more closer to home and different things if I need to. And, and Austin? Um, uh, ours is uh, completely different from both of them. Yeah, I thought it was, which is why I left you last. <laughs> um, we've had to look outside the box. Um, you know, our type of product, if we made it in the UK, uh, it just wouldn't be cost effective. We wouldn't be able to retail it. Well, I'll rephrase that. Our customers wouldn't be able to retail it. Then that's not helping the environment at all because people are going back to using plastic bags and things like that. The way we've tackled it is twofold. Uh, we're trying more and more to get all of our uh, display stands. We give free display stands away with the product. Uh, in the past, we 100% of them were made in the Far East. Uh, now there's probably about 50% of them made in the UK and that number going up. The other way we've tackled it is we changed the way completely that we look at other countries. We had three agents in Ireland and 10 in France. Uh, we still have not in a minute, but we're increasingly looking at putting distributors into different countries. So we'll supply them straight from the factory rather than the product coming into the UK and then us having to send it to their country. Uh, it, dramatically affected our margin 
but it's still helping the planet. So we earn a much smaller amount off of the product, but it tends to be bigger volumes that we're getting on the sales as well. We've now got about 12 distributors across the world. I, I agree with Austin here. This, this is something we're also trying to look at doing because it, it doesn't make sense to basically have two lots of freight. Yeah, and, and all too that much so, a cost. It's too well. much of a yeah. cost. And ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like it or loathe it, to, to, to go into sustainability, it, it's, there is a cost element to that. And whatever you can do in order to shave off what you can, I think, I think that's a great idea. And that's something that we've also been looking at. We have a couple of agents, but now we're probably looking for distributors where I can just send it to one place and they can just look after a whole area. Yeah. And as you are you know, actively looking for new partners to help grow and develop your businesses, have you come across any other exciting initiatives at a local level happening in those countries, which, you know, things that we could learn here in the UK? I'll give you an example. I had the experience recently of traveling to Chile um, and in Santiago, one of the largest department store brands there. They have uh, uh, people who collect cardboard boxes uh, and it's something which, you know, kind of what's almost a, it's a street economy, so to speak. But this group of department stores actually now employs the people that formerly used to collect the cardboard boxes to give them a roof, give them a home and also to give them education. So, so on that, I have looked at potentially using the Philippines for some, some of my product with a view to then help collect plastic from the ocean because they've got stuff up there. So it's something that's in the pipeline. But again, it, these things take time. It's not something you need, but it's something that I have looked at. Yeah. And I think as the world comes together and gets more aware on these, these issues, I think we can expect, you know, many more initiatives to come. We also signed up to uh, a confederation called SEDEX. I don't know if you've yep. heard of SEDEX, yeah. 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 We're part of SEDEX and they go in and they check all the, the different levels of the um, of the supply chain, making sure there's no underage labour or uh, um, working practices that's going to harm the environment. So it's, it's, it's a thing that I feel that few suppliers actually shout about it we don't shout loud enough about it so effectively it. they are your eyes and ears on the ground and they Auditors. give you the, the yeah. compliance yeah. Yeah. that you're, yeah. you're, our, you're um, looking for our jewelry is actually made in a um sedex audited factory um to ensure that there are um responsible and uh, ethical business practices in our supply chain and do you think the customers are looking for that these days is is that important or is it just something you feel you should should be doing i think that's a very good question mm -hmm. i think deep down yes but you see what's going on on the high street with certain brands and you think some just want fashion over over what's going on behind the scenes. Fast fashion is such, it's yeah. going to cripple the, the earth at this rate, really. Yeah. I, I, it already has. I, I've come, I, I've got a friend of mine who, who has a processing plant and unfortunately it's 20,000 square meters and it's inundated with, with clothing that's dead stock. I, I don't know what's going to happen to that. And you just think, but you think, you think back end, you think all those, Poor labourers actually made that. What for? You know, really, what for? And, and it's... I mean, we live in a throwaway culture, don't yeah. we? You know, people buy a shirt, you know, they wear it five or six times, decide they don't like the colour, throw it away and buy another shirt. It's... I guess the thing we can all be perhaps hopeful for is that a lot of activist groups are holding brands more to account. Yeah. So perhaps where in the past there's been some evidence of greenwashing where it's you know, good to say the right thing, but are people doing the right thing? Certainly with your work through SEDEX, you feel confident that actually people are in fact, you know, not just following the rules and playing by the rules, but also living up to the rules. But I think what you have here is you've got three entrepreneurs that have started with that right at the infancy of their business. Yeah. I think when you have that at the fabric, it's, it, you know, it becomes part of what you do. It's not a case of my margin was this, I need to look at sustainable, my margin's gonna be this. It's like, this is what we do, and we work our business accordingly. And I think that 
that, that's why you have a lot of independents, not just us, you're, you, in the show, you can probably speak to nine out of 10 of all the independents here and everyone will have a, something to do with sustainability because they're at a position that they can put that right at the fabric of their business. It's up to the consumer after that what they want to buy, but that, that's the, the ease and we manage our businesses accordingly. We'd just like to say a thank you to the sponsor of this episode, Find Your Glow. Named Gift of the Year 2022 finalist, Find Your Glow offers a range of candles, diffusers, well-being pods and oils, soaps and lotions. Each Find Your Glow scent has a story and individual character, evoking memory, feeling and mood to subtly enhance any living space. Emotion and scent entwined. Stylish. Distinctly evocative. Exquisitely packaged. Sustainable. Handmade in the UK. 100% natural wax and recyclable. Find Your Glow's impeccable eco-credentials sees one tree planted for every candle sold. Affordable. Are you a retailer looking to find your next best seller? To discover the range of Find Your Glow products and register your interest in becoming a stockist, visit fyghome.com. That's fyghome.com. One of the things that's always been a, a barrier to the sustainability uh, movement really taking off has generally been associated by price. In your businesses, do you think that the consumer today is less concerned about price if that there are sustainability benefits to be had? I think, I mean, not to patronise anybody here, but um, these guys, and I feel our business and, and other businesses like us, I've started doing this at a very difficult time mm. because there's a lot of people and a lot of families out there that uh, right at this minute uh, cost is very important to them. Uh, but we're still managing to make a difference. It might be a small difference, but we're managing to make a difference and set our businesses in the right path to, to start growing. The environment and, and, and ecology in general, is, I think, is pretty important to most people out in the street. But a lot of people, not since Brexit, but since the pandemic came along, have been struggling just with household bills. So I think it's pushed it back in quite a lot of people's heads right at this minute. Mm. But hopefully we're on the way out of this now and it will start coming to the forefront of people's minds again. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, these I've, two days have been very good for us. So for, far. Even for us. I, I feel that we're on almost like on, 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 on that cusp of a wave now. I think yeah. we're not where we want to be, yeah. um, but, yeah. I, but I do feel that it's 100% on everyone's radar and subject to who you're targeting, where, you, where your product's positioned, I think you will have those customers that, that, that want to come into it. Now, is everything sustainable? Ever? No, but, but at some point, I think we're going to get to that. You look at all the green initiatives that are happening, even with our government today, et cetera, you know, you're looking at all that. And I think down the line, definitely, that is something that's going to happen. But I, I, I look at it as positive. I really, really do feel, I mean, we've, we've had a torrid time with COVID, and it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I set up my business in COVID. It's very, very hard, and I've had my challenges with that. But at the same time, I've had my opportunities because being a young brand, a relatively small independent brand, you can move so much faster than what would be a steamboat massive retailer. And in many ways, COVID has provided almost a, a right environment almost for a changing gear and a, a changing focus. People were 
more uh, together at home. They had more time to think and to reflect. People were certainly a bit more introspective, I think, about their lives. And as we now come out of the pandemic, there's certainly evidence that we are more conscious consumers. Do you think, Kerry, that that is something which, you know, brands like yourself can build into their marketing plan and, and almost you know, use that level of heightened awareness about the environment and sustainability to essentially say that, you know, our products, you know, choose us rather than other people because we're doing these things. It's something that I would, um, I would use in my marketing to say about all of the good things that we do. Um, and then it would be, I, I'd say that with our products, we, we aim for a price point, which is like affordable luxury so that we're not going too high off of the scale to be that you have to spend X amount of money to buy something that is sustainable. So it, it makes that choice easier for the consumer that they can then purchase that nice piece of jewelry without being too much um, for them. Um, and it's also with our jewelry, we do it so it's vermeil plated, which makes it um, a thicker quality of plating. So it's more durable, so then it's longer lasting. Um, so then you're not rebuying piece after piece. Um, and it just, you can add to your collection instead. Um, and I think if we think about, you know, kind of life in the real world and outside of our, you know, marketing textbooks or, you know, thinking about our, our own you know, brand propositions, you know, imagine yourself uh, and your consumers in, in a store and they're faced with goods of different prices, some which seem to have higher ethical credentials and some less so, but let's say price becomes an important factor in the consideration. How do you think consumers are going to react and respond in future? I can put it onto what I've seen here and where people have bought. The fact that we use a sustainable wax, for example, like a real vegetable wax as opposed to um, a paraffin base or even a soy-based wax, they're like magpies. You know, this, this, is, this is what we've been looking for. And, 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 and like Kerry... So do you think it's your job to, in a sense, help make the choice easier for consumers? Yeah. To nudge it's, them? It's, it's, it's my, but it's my job to put out a product there that they can for my target market that they re realistically can afford to buy and at the same time feel that it's an aspirational purchase. So we're in a market that's saturated. I mean, you think how many candle brands there are, from a Yankee candle that's really, really cheap to a Jo Malone, to a Diptyque, et cetera. We're trying to find our own little niche where I can say to my consumers, this is where you are. Fred, this is the hot throat that you've been looking for, but at this price. Oh, and by the way, it's 100% um, sustainable. For everyone you do, we've planted a tree and you're also giving back to the community. So, One of the things that's been massive, of course, over the last two years is the use of social media. And for brands particularly, they've really elevated their conversations with consumers because when people couldn't visit the stores, they used online channels as a way to keep the conversation flowing. Has that been something that you've also done, Austin? Uh, yeah, we actually employed a company and a, and a retainer to manage all of our social media for us and to do some marketing for us, as in, you know, letting them know where we are at trade shows or where new products come out. It's, it's not an easy business doing that. I'm sure you two are doing it a damn sight better than I am. No, no, we're about uh, the same. No, I'd say about the same. <laughs> can, I, can I just say one thing about what Demi was saying a minute ago? It's it's a bit like the like the chicken and the egg, you know, supply and retail. You know, it's, it's, the old question is, does retail dictate what fashion does in your old background, Demi, or does fashion dictate what people buy? And I actually think it's it's a bit of both. I agree. Uh, you know, and we're eco-friendly companies trying to do our bit, but at the end of the day, we are businesses. And uh, if we are doing what we are doing and nobody's buying it, then our businesses won't be here. So we are doing our bit to try and get the products out there 
but I think the public are also doing their bit that they're leaning more and more towards our type of products. Mm. And there's very much kind of almost, there's both the nudge and there's the shove approach in this, isn't there? You know, if we think back to when uh, tungsten filament light bulbs were um, essentially phased out a few years ago, in that sense, you know, law was used to actually remove choice from the consumer and actually force a switch to LED or more sustainable alternatives. Yeah, yeah. And of course, a massive increase in price, but so to a longer life product for the consumer. Kerry, how have you used social media in the last few months? You know, have you? Have you have you done more? Have you done less? Um, so social media is just myself and another lady that helps me with that. And we just we just post all pictures of our, our jewellery and we explain about the um, the ethical and um, eco-friendliness of what we do. And we also speak to our charities a lot through our social media, sharing backwards and forwards, and then that helps to promote themselves and the work that they do also. And, and Demi, yours is a product which I suppose for really to best sense it uh, and the clue in the title there you know you almost have to be in front of it and while social media can show you a burning flame you can't get the wonderful aroma no uh, and honestly i'm learning on social media every day but what i would say is where, where we've had much more interaction with our followers has been more about what we're doing outside of the product itself so really talking about the, what we're talking about today, really talking about the backstory, really talking about how, how we're helping the environment community, just communicating about where we are. A lot of them have come in today to see us, you know, and I think that's for us is what social media's done. Of course, yes, we do some product shots, et cetera, but 100% right, you, you, you can't smell a, a candle. It's just impossible. But for, for me, what we try to do is we try to create the ambience around the lifestyle shots, put that out there, but a lot of them, the, and it's, you know, as I said, we're learning, a lot of the more recent reaction has been to, oh, this is why you're using this wax. This is what you're doing. And, and it's, it's those questions. It's, it's more the, the detail that we think, that we almost thought that they wouldn't want to know, but actually they really want to know, really want to understand. That, that's more that we're putting on social media. And I think talking to others, one of the things that I've learned is, is don't make any assumptions. Yes. The, the, the consumer, you know, already understands this stuff. It's, it's essentially your job to explain it and to make it real. That's, that's exactly right. And, and honestly, from, from that, the, the engagement from, from the questions, et cetera, why this, that, that's been so much better and has given our followers, our consumers, much more of an understanding of the brand. And have any of you had any direct examples of success where, say, you've promoted a product on Instagram or Twitter or, I should say, other platforms are available, um, and then you've seen a corresponding sales spike? Yes, definitely. We've, uh, we're partnered with the Bumblebee Conservation Trust, and um, they post pictures of our jewellery and we see that we get sales from that um, coming through on our social media. From so you can directly track it through the analytics and you know that the sales are because of those actions you've done? Yes, yeah, it shows up through the website. I, I would say whilst we're talking social media, don't underestimate the power of LinkedIn. Um, that for me was the biggest eye-opener of the last six weeks and it's almost... Your, your business almost has a professional presence on there. And don't forget there are buyers and everything from around there, from a stalker's perspective. And once we started going on LinkedIn and really talking about our, our, what, we, what we stand for on LinkedIn, as well as you know, your Instas, et cetera, that all of a sudden the brand took on another level. And we've taken on a European agent off the back of that because it really stands with what his customers are looking for. And, and you know, as a result, we're going from there. So it's, it's, it's really, so really exploring not just the B2C community, but, right, the B2B. but the B2B. As we look ahead, and of course, we're all very much still in that moment where we're concerned by the pandemic and, and how that's created some very real changes and how we've all lived our lives. Some of those changes that we've all made may not last. 
Therefore, I guess, how are you future-proofing your business to think five years ahead? You know, when we're almost, the pandemic is a distant memory, let's hope. What are you doing now that you feel that actually will stand you in good stead for those years to come? At Find Your Glow, it's a lifestyle brand we're growing. So from, from, from my perspective, we're starting with home fragrance. There are other areas that we, we can tag onto that. And we're looking at how we can scale up across beauty, et cetera. That, that, that's, that's basically what we're looking at. At the same time, as I said before, you know, we've looked at the, the key partnerships of where we're buying. We're diving deeper in with those. And that really, I think, creates a bedrock of a fantastic relationship with our suppliers and then also our retailers. So that, that's, that's what we're trying to do future-proofing. And, and for me, these shows are, are critical. You know, they, 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 I'm a passionate Greek, right? So my, my whole thing is on, is on the product. And I think they see, when they see you on the stand, they get it. You know, they, they understand exactly where it's, it comes from. And like my peers, you know, if, if you've got uh, people coming over to see your brand, they want to see you ultimately, whether it's your retailers or whatever, because you're the one that's really, really pushing the brand forward. And I think that the more you get that, whether it's in front of stockers, whether it's in front of customers, the more the belief is in your brand. Because ultimately people will believe in a sustainable brand if, if they feel it's authentic rather than contrived. They can only really get that from you. So, yeah, so Demi, I, I, I'm hearing that you believe strongly that the, the founder's passion is key to success. Critical. With, without that, the, the, the founder is the driving force behind any business. You know, and I think ultimately, if, let's, if, for example, I mean, I've got a fantastic sales team, but if one of them was on there versus me, yes, they get the sales, but there, there's, people want to know why it started, how it started, why have you gone this, down this route? And there's only so many questions that they can answer rather than the founder themselves. Um, and I, I personally feel that that's, that for me is, is where the passion comes from, the authenticity, and that comes really from, from the founders. Mm. Austin, the product yeah. you sell is, is pretty interesting and, and I think pretty unique. Has yeah. there been any interest from the big kind of grocery groups or people like that around uh, what you're doing? Uh, not really the, the grocery groups, but um, we're in with the, most of the big garden centers, most of the department stores. The Grocery stores have went for their uh, bag for life. Yeah, it's 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 only the shopper is only a, it's, it's her biggest seller, but it's a small part of her business. You know, on the material products, we've recycled already nearly three million bottles, but our business is starting to evolve. It was once all fabric. We've now got the two bottles there as well, and we're trying to come up with ways that we can make an effect in in other ways in the world as well. So far, it's only the bottle and cup we've come up with, but we're, we're, we're working trying to get there. It's, the supermarkets, as I said, they're, they're a, a big nut to break. It's, uh, it's hard to get in with them, and the prices that they want for it again is, just makes things So how know, important is uh, new product development for you? How much emphasis do you place on that? We keep it in-house at the, at the minute anyway. There's three of us looking at it, four of us, including the, the designer, that look at it and try to build the range. We've already got uh, two other products in the pipeline uh, for the second half of this year. Uh, originally, we were a fashion company. It was handbags that we did originally. Uh, we completely changed on eco-friendly, and now we're starting to move into fashion again. For a while, you'll, you'll know a lot of fashion just wasn't interested. It was, it was making the products, making them sell fast, and people buy more. We're trying to move into it and make it a little bit more sustainable as well. So, so the thing I'm interested in next, and this I'm sure will be very different for all of you, each of you will have faced some kind of big hurdle or a challenge, something that you thought was potentially insurmountable. Um, what was it and how did you get over the hump? 
Kerry, you look as if you're burning to give us the answer here. To be honest, I think it took me a year and a half before I launched my business to to get everything how I wanted, the right factory, the right materials, everything with the, sort of the T's crossed and the I's dotted to how I wanted it to be just so before I launched and put my ideas out to the world. So that was the biggest hurdle I think I found was actually thinking this is, this is it now and I've managed to reach all of those sustainability factors and boxes that I can do um, to be out there and to say this is, this is us. And were there any things which you were striving to find which you thought were almost going to be you know, in, impossible links within that supply chain? Finding the right factory to make the jewellery was the hardest. Um, to be able to have the right price point to make it still affordable for the consumer and be able to get the margin to be able to do wholesale and to be able to have it so it's recycled um, silver that we were using, definitely that was the hardest thing. And a year and a half is a long time to be hatching a plan. Yeah. Um, what tested your, your resolve in those months? It was a lot of discussions really. Um, a lot of different audits and um, trying to find that, that right um, supplier. So just keep believing just keep and keep believing. chipping away. Definitely. Do your research, really, like, really look into things mm. um, and don't take things at face value. Always dig a bit deeper. And, and, and Demi, have you hit any crisis moments or things which have, you know, been that big gasp of air? To be honest with you, my one was prior to starting. I've, I've had my whole life being employed somewhere and, and taking a jump to... And I, listen, I'm, I'm not a young boy. I'm 43, you know, with, with a family and everything. Take, taking a jump to, I want to do my own brand. I want, to, I want to start that. That, for me, was the biggest hurdle that I had to do. Anything else after that, as challenging as it was, seemed like chicken feed, <laughs> honestly. But, but, that, but that, for me, to, to, to make that jump and to go from a... I mean, my, my background has been all fashion. I mean, you can ask me who you could approach, even Austin. I, I, could, I can give you the trading director of Sainsbury's, for example. But, you know, <laughs> you, you can ask me who, who, who you can approach. Um, and I would know that. But I'm entering, I entered an industry where I thought, you know what? I, I love this industry. I love what it does to you. I love what it, what, what it means. I want to crack this. And starting totally, totally afresh. And also at the same time, being scared that my skill set wasn't transferable. So it was really a case of, you know, I've been in sales, I've been managing business all my life, but on the fashion side, how can I do that somewhere else? So, so in your darkest hour, when you've really been thinking I'm up against this, where have you dug deep and what it, did you it, find? It's, it's been very, very difficult because my wife is a chartered accountant for KPMG, straight down the line. She thought I was mad. So you're almost like looking around to think, what can you do? And actually, I, I, I look back to my late father. My late father came on a boat to the UK, established the business. He put me into schooling and I thought, you know what, come on, mate, if he can do it coming off a boat, suck it up and, and just get on with it. And but literally it, but, it was on the road and it was on the road. I'm, I'm knocking on doors, speaking to buyers. I cold emailed the largest um, retailer in the Middle East. Um, and two months later, eight and a half thousand diffusers later, we're in. And, Amazing. And, and, and it's basically a case of, come on, Demi, you believe in your brand. It's part of the whole passion side. You believe in your brand, you believe in what you're doing. Just get out there. So, so does it help to be ballsy? <laughs> um, not over the top, yeah. But, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's an inner confidence. If you don't believe in your brand, who's going to? You know, that, 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 as cliche as that sounds, it's true. And I think from my perspective, that's what's helped me. It's like, come on, Dem, you know, you really, really believe in what you're doing. 
Um, it's authentic. Nothing's contrived. Just go out there. If, if it falls flat, it falls flat. You know, mm. you don't 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 look back and think I haven't tried to give it a go. And, and you mentioned there, um, Demi, and again, part of what we're trying to reveal in this um, discussion together is, is kind of almost a more personal side of, of, of your motivations to build your businesses. You have a wife that initially was sceptical, loves you dearly by all counts, and with a background which is probably entirely much more rational and logical and numeric, so perhaps wasn't feeling the passion. But is she on board now? She's making candles as we speak. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, obviously the, the business started on the kitchen table. Um, you should see our house. It's, listen, it's, she, she loves it. She can see where I'm going with it. It's, everyone has their own, uh, how can I say, their, their own view to change, right? And, and, I, and, I, and I think that's, whether it's in business, whether it's in personal, I think COVID has kind of really made people think what they want to do, and it did for me. You know, I thought, you know, I can carry on doing what I'm doing. My job skill, they were all, the only jobs available were the ones in Dubai, Hong Kong, and I wasn't going to go there. So I had a situation where I had to have a real reality check where I was, and ultimately, I thought, Dem, you're not getting any younger. If you want to give it a go, this is the time. And if it falls, it falls. And I think since they've seen the growth and they've realized that, yeah, Dem, you are mad, but you're not that mad. Um, it's a good mad. It's a good mad. That there's, there's that, now there's that support in it, you know. So it's been and I think for some founders who uh, do this within a, 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 a family environment, there can inevitably be that overlap between work and home and suddenly everything becomes a bit blurred. How have you managed to separate, you know, work life and, and, and business life and family life? Or have you? I, I, I wish I could lie to you and say I, I have. It's, it's difficult. Um, but, I, I, you know, for me, I always try to find time for the kids. But what's actually amazing, amazing is... I've got an 11-year-old daughter turning 12, and she now wants to set up a slime business and go on stalls. She's seeing me, like, literally grafting, and she's like, Daddy, this is incredible. How do you do that? So she's gone on, like, she's working at her margin. She's working at her retail. This is an 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid that really should just be playing around having fun. But I just love the fact that I have three girls, and I just want to make sure that they can grow up and know that they can do anything they want. And yeah. literally with her, it's, it's just incredible. She's That's seeing terrific. it happening. So. Yeah, and you're inspiring a new generation. Yeah. yeah. Kerry, I, I don't know about your own circumstances, but have you had to deal with that too in terms of separating or keeping a sense of separation between work and life and, and not becoming so absorbed that you give up on all your friends and your hobbies and all the things that also matter? I have. So I, I've recently had a baby, um, so which has completely turned life and business and work and trying to um, be everything to everyone with my husband and my child. Um, uh, but it's been great. It's well, congratulations, um, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I launched the business in in November 2020. I found out I was pregnant in the in the January and and had her last August. So it's been the last five months of running the business with the baby. And um, but it's, yeah, it's been lovely. And, and and it's often said that women make the best multitaskers. It sounds like you've been doing a tremendous job there. Definitely, yeah. Bouncing her on the bouncer with my foot and doing some emails or answering <laughs> the phone or um, putting her in stuff under a sensory like television show or something just so I can take a phone call for five minutes. It's, um, yeah, definitely. Keeping her occupied. Keeping her occupied, definitely. Um, <laughs> husband is with her at the moment. <laughs> Brilliant. And he's not making candles for Demi, I presume. <laughs> it's an interesting point though, isn't it? I mean, look, as we're talking together, do you think you've learned anything even in this brief conversation about, you know, the things that you're each doing? Uh, or, or is there anything that you can take out of the conversation? I, I, th I think I've realised that I'm not alone. 
Yeah, you know, I, th I think this is what's like, because sometimes when you're doing what you're doing, you think, are oh, you mad in this direction? But but listening to, to you two, it, it just makes me think that, yeah, I'm, I'm relatively sane. And we, we all have the same sort of challenges. And I think that sometimes you think, is it really just me? You know, because you don't know. I mean, obviously, I, I don't know either of your businesses. I mean, you, your business sounds incredible. Austin. I, I love the, the jewelry that you do. But, you know, you're looking around and you're like, okay, everyone's got the same similar sort of challenges. And I, I imagine you can probably sit in every single stall and everyone will be literally exactly the same. So actually, collectively, there's a voice there. Collectively, there's a real determination yeah. to do something there. Definitely moving forward with this type of business now, I think. And, and how about for you, Austin? Is there anything from the conversation that you think, actually, actually, that's a good idea. We maybe should be doing a little bit of that or, or taking some of these ideas forward. Yeah, listening to these two guys, I mean, I, I, again, we feel as if we pretty much are there on our own. Uh, we don't really have much competition for our type of product in the UK. Two main companies are Germany, so we we pretty much feel as if we are on our own. And it's been good to to meet both of you and uh, and know that there is other people out there doing it as well. Yeah. And, and Kerry, have you been inspired by anything from the conversation? Definitely. Um, there's been things that both of you have said that um, I would take on board and have a look into and see how I could help. Um, other charities and different aspects in the other worlds, like you say with the Philippines that you've got lined up and cleaning up their beaches and actually being proactive in certain countries as well and doing more charity sides from like what I could do personally and not only just giving to charities but actually getting stuck in. And, and Demi, you raised an important point there around, you know, kind of the sense of isolation that perhaps you can have when you're, you know, busy building a brand and wrestling work and home life and trying to strive for that balance. And I think that's where organisations like the Chambers of Commerce, uh, that's where organisations like Bira, for example, can play such an important role in helping independents by networking and sharing and problem solving together. Well, I, I've, I've literally recently joined my local BNI. Um, and that has been fantastic uh, from a networking perspective, entrepreneurial perspective. But then also the Giffer Association have been incredible. You know, being part of, I, I, this is my second show. So I, I'm here at Spring Fair. I did Autumn Fair. I wasn't part of the Giffer Association then. But since, the people I've met, the peers, etc., that I've been introduced to, priceless. Great, great. Good, good to hear. So my final question for each of you, really, and it may well be something different for all of you. If you were going to pass on some advice now to somebody who is setting up your own business, and Demi, I'm sure you've had some very interesting conversations over the dinner table with your daughter. Um, what advice would you give someone that was about to set up and said, look, I want to make the leap. I want to make the jump. I've enjoyed what I've done in my career so far, but, you know, I've got this other burning desire. Follow your dream. Follow your dream. Uh, follow your dream. Just uh, open your wings and fly. You know, try to, if you've got something there that you believe is right, you've got to go for it. If you don't, you're going to regret it at some time in the future. I'm a damn sight older than you two. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and there's probably lots in my life I've done that I shouldn't have done. But um, this isn't one of them. I've, I wouldn't change a thing. No there's regrets. Been hard, there's been hard times, but I would not change a thing about it. And if there's something that you wished you knew then that you have learnt now, what would it be? Um, probably the, the, the biggest worry that I had was similar to you guys, but in a, in a different way. Uh, I'd married before and my partner had been married before as well. And it was the fact that I was going to be away from home so much how that was going to affect my personal life. That was actually my biggest fear. Um, and Mary's actually been the opposite way. Uh, 
she's actually glad the pandemic's ending that she can get me out from under her feet <laughs> and get rid of me again. She's uh, that, have was, a... that was my biggest fear, and I should have talked an awful lot more about that at the start. And I would, or before we moved forward with it, and I would have been more confident then in myself. So she's looking it. forward to having the house back to herself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, watching Strictly and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Kerry, if you were handing down some advice, just one piece of very special advice to someone doing a startup, what would it be? I would say just do it because you've just got to jump in and also to research. I think research is the key. Um, that, that just stops you from making any silly mistakes um, that could be unavoidable. You will make mistakes, everybody does. Um, failure isn't failure if you're learning. So yeah. do your research and then you'll be able to set yourself up with a plan to go forward. So Demi, um, what would be your golden nugget of advice you'd pass on? I firstly agree with everything that Austin and Kerry has just said. The only other one that I would put on there, because I, I was at a, at a point where I was traveling like crazy in my previous role, et cetera, is I'd always put on this phrase, I heard it once and it stuck, um, that no amount of money can buy a second of time. And as busy and as busy and as busy as you are, just make time for those loved ones around you because you're gonna need them when, when they're going to get stuff and don't push them away. It's very, very easy when you're setting up your own business to be so immersed in it because you're passionate, it's your business, and obviously. But at the same time, you need your breaks. You need your time when you can just escape. And for me, it's my three kids, my wife, and my Cocker Spaniel Diesel. But, but you just need that time on it. But I totally agree with everything also that, that I have to say, the dog has a very un-eco-friendly name. <laughs> it, it, was, it wasn't my choice. Listen, I'm a Greek boy. I wanted to call him uh, Perseus, but it was never going to happen. My kids realized that his granddad was called Diesel, so it just stuck. You, you, you could always change him, I guess, into Bio-Diesel. Bi yeah. <laughs> BD. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So, so that for me is, as, as busy and as what Austin Kerry said is, is, is critical. Um, and 100% research and be passionate about what you do. I, I just think that, you know, just and, remember and, those ones around you. And, and something you've learned, one of those jaw-dropping moments where you kind of... Like, you can oh. do it. You can do it. Okay, don't, cool. don't take too long. You know, I... I so don't doubt yourself. Don't doubt no, yourself. We're, we're, all, we're, all, we're all salespeople. We're, yep. Deep down, you never hear of the best written book. You hear about the best selling book. Everyone's a salesperson. And deep down, you are a salesperson. Whatever business you do, you're selling yourself. If, you, if you're authentic and if you're going out there and you're yourself, people will buy into you. And that, that for me is, is the, the critical key aspect. And Fantastic. do it, do it as, the moment you feel it, don't think, oh, what if, what if, what if. 100% what Kerry said, just research. If you're passionate about something, just research the industry and just jump in. Kerry, was there anything that you have learned which you think, gosh, I wish I'd known that at the time? Well, I think it is the fact that I doubted myself and you can't doubt yourself. You do just need to put yourself out there. I think that's why it took me so long to get everything just so and just perfect because I wasn't sure how everyone would perceive the brand and what they would think and now that it's out there and people well, everyone that I've spoken to seems to like it and they they like what they what I've done and and things so it, it gives you that confidence to to go forward and yeah if you just just do it do your research and yeah you'll um, make a success hopefully and I think as the famous phrase goes it's uh, feel the fear and just do it anyway yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely. pretty much yep yeah well, look, guys, I wish you all every success with how you continue to build and develop your businesses. Shall look out for you on the high streets in years to come. And thanks so much for the conversation today. Thank you for having That's us. Lovely. Thank Love you very you. much Thank for you. having us. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening. <laughs>